0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: Hello, Be Awesome listeners. This is episode 76 of the Be Awesome podcast. And this, I think, is going to be yet another awesome podcast. Uh, I always like to open up before I introduce the guest as often as possible to show the relationship importance, um, as well as your word, as well as the people around you, the importance of the five people that you spend the most time with. That's the average uh, of who you are. And um, this is a real interesting one because I've never met this guest in person. I've actually only talked to him for about five minutes on the phone. Uh, We chatted back and forth via LinkedIn messenger, and I've seen him here for the first time on video on this podcast. So how did this all happen? Well, on uh, July 31st, Friday, Friday morning, I get an email from Limo J, and uh, Limo J just says, Josh, hope that you and the family are doing well. I've attached a link to a close friend site, thought it may be of interest to you, a possible podcast, podcast show guest uh, with, his, with with uh, www.ericchason.com, who that's our guest today. Limo J, so Limo J owns At Your Service Limousine. Uh, he started it in 1993. Uh, entrepreneur. Uh, he's been driving limos his, his, most of his professional career. It's actually his whole professional career. Um, but uh, when I when I got that, I, I said to Jay, I'd love to meet him, have him give me a call because I've tried not to be pushy with getting guests on. And it was Friday. I did a quick scan. Didn't really know too much about uh, Eric. And on Sunday, uh, for whatever reason, August 2nd, I got online. I started doing a little digging. and I'm like, wow, this guy's a pretty cool cat um, I'm not going to wait for him to call me. So I reached out to him on Monday. We had that five minute conversation and he ended with, um, I understand if you need to vet me out a little bit and do a little bit of research on me. And I said, Nope, you came from Limo Jay and that's good enough for me. And I don't know that he understands why I said that. I'm sure he understands why I said that, but he doesn't know the story behind it. Um, in June of 1991, I was celebrating my 16th birthday. Uh, on my 16th birthday, my mom put me in our 1987 Subaru station wagon, five-speed, four-cylinder, zero to 60 in 13 minutes, family cruiser, and drove me down to the Shaw's supermarket at uh, Five Corners in Eastern Massachusetts. She dropped me off, and she said, good luck. I walked in on my 16th birthday, and I applied for a job as a bagger, paying, I think, either $3.85 an hour or $4.15 an hour. Um, I got the job. I went through training. I was a bagger. We don't see those very often anymore. Normally, we have the checker, and you have to bag yourself, but, but in the old days, in the early 90s, you actually used paper bags uh, and plastic bags. You'd ask either one uh, before every order, and you'd bag as fast as you could, and there were cashiers that tried to push product as fast as they could to you to, to backlog the belt to make you look bad at times, and on my very first day bagging, I had Uh, a a gentleman just a little bit older than me by the name of Jay Carvalho. And my grandfather went through the line, one of the first customers to get his uh, break food. My grandfather was a custodian at the grocery store and my grandmother worked in the bakery. And um, my grandfather handed me $2 and Jay looked at me and I'll never forget. And he said, Hey, how do you know that guy? And I said, Oh, that's my grandfather. And he said, Manny, I love Manny. He's a great guy. And Nivalda, that's your grandmother, right? In the bakery. And he was so excited and happy that he knew my grandparents and how wonderful they were. And I spent most of my adolescent life thinking that nobody paid any attention to my grandparents because they were immigrants that spoke very little English um, and were custodians and worked in bakeries and factories and such. And to this day, all the way going to yesterday, Jay has always, in every interaction, asked me how my grandmother and my mother are doing. He used to always ask me how my grandfather is doing. He's a, he's a person of incredible character. Uh, he's a person that I don't see very often, but I've known for a very long time. And uh, he has the ability that if he says this is a good person, his word is good enough because of how good a person he is. So, uh, Jay, I appreciate you putting that together. I appreciate you being such an amazing human all these years. As little as we interact, it's always a good one. Um, and lining this podcast up and if you want to go for a COVID cruise, call Limo J at At Your Service Limousine. I'll put his information. I'm going to give him a free plug because uh, he, he delivers an amazing service. The quick story, and then I'll get this there. I called Jay at 10 o'clock at night last February. I had a, a last-minute trip to Baton Rouge. Uh, I had a 5 a.m. departure, and it was going to be icy and snowy, and Uber wouldn't uh, pick me up, drop me off, completely just mind-blown, Forgot. Even like I was scrambling, and because I don't use local transportation very often, I use Uber outside of of Boston. And I'm like, "Crap, what do I do?" And I'm like, "I'll call him OJ. And I call him up. I talk to him. He says, "Yeah, absolutely, I can do it." He was here early, picked me up, got me into Boston. Rain, snow, sleet doesn't matter. Ice, he'll drive straight through it, and he does a fantastic job with it. Uh, no questions asked. He does an amazing service. So uh, be sure to check him out. And so. Um, with that said, let's get to the guest, this guy, uh, I got to tell you, we're going to, we're going to dig into some stuff that he is not prepared for. Uh, he is a resilience coach. And I, I've mentioned before, I have, I get approached by coaches probably two to three times a week, uh, social, in, social media influencers. I get a lot of people telling me I could be doing things better. I should be editing my podcast. I should be, you know, making this viral or doing whatever. I don't want to do any of that. I want to do what I want to do and I'm doing it and it's working and it's because you guys love it and I'm going to keep doing it. Um, so, but he's a resilience coach. And so when I, I dug into him a little bit about being a coach, I realized that this guy's legit. Like he is, uh, he is overly qualified with it. He is the author of Despair to Millionaire. It's a book of his life, of his story, which is phenomenal. Uh, I hate to say it. Uh, Jay was upset about this one. I've got a copy of it, an advance notice. I, I, these are my post-it notes. Uh, Dave, if you listen to David Cook's, I post-it note. If I put a lot of post-it notes, that means I got a lot of nuggets of knowledge out of it. This thing is monstrous with nuggets of knowledge. And what's even better, uh, for those of you that like cliff notes, at the end of the book, every chapter, at the end of the book, you got every chapter with some bullet points and some takeaways. So if you don't want to listen to Eric's story and you just want to get the bullet points on life, he's gone ahead and give you the cliff notes at the end of it. So it's worth the price of admission. comes out August 25th. Eric Jason was next door to me in Mansfield, Massachusetts, uh, was one of the founders of Triton Technologies, which he sold uh, to private equity, equity successfully and was able to retire at an early age. Uh, and he shares his story. We're going to talk a little bit about life, but the, Eric, welcome aboard, my friend. This isn't your first podcast, because I've listened to like 20 of yours already, so you're out there. You're, you're blasting these out like crazy.
0: Thank you very much, Josh. I, I'm still trying to do the math on how old I was in 1991. You, <laughs> <laughs> I, think I, I think I got it.
1: Yeah, it's painful. It's painful. Um, so I got to tell you, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to call this Cut from the Same Cloth, this episode, Uh, I think you and I have a lot of similarities. One thing that I did find in reading your book, um, you were truly an overachiever in high school. Uh, You finished in just four years. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. It took me five. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, and then you went to community college and you went for two and it didn't work out, right? Um, and that was the only place it took you. I went to uh, Massasoit community college, 94 to 96. I had to test in. I was the only kid in the class. I was wondering where everybody else was to test in. They wanted to give me a uh, special class offerings, uh, which meant I don't think they had classes low enough for me to fit into, to figure out. Uh, and to this day, I'm still on uh, double secret academic probation because I think my GPA is under a, uh, a one, but I only have a couple classes to finish at some point. Maybe this COVID thing, I'll try my, my hand at, uh, internet classes, but, uh, so let's let's talk about you a little bit. So school wasn't your bag. You you've got this book, Despirit a Millionaire. You've gone through you, you went through uh growing up and, and having uh what there was no such thing as A D D and in your book you talk about some of the things that you have. And we won't need we don't want to get into the details of all of that stuff, so people read the book. But you had some some difficulties in, in grasping school and really making it work for you, which most people would think that that's that's your that's your nail in the coffin, right? You're not gonna you're not gonna amount to anything. You don't get to a nice college. You don't get to a nice school. What what was that like for you?
0: Well, in thinking back, and as I allude to uh, in my book, Josh, um, in I, as I was learning about my son, I think this is uh, chapter four on uh, the intangibles. You know, the attitude, dedication, commitment. Oftentimes, those intangibles. Um, you know were all I really had to bring to the party because as you uh, mentioned i you know I didn't have the uh, formal education outside of uh, high school uh, in some college um, you know I checked that box, which is some college when when I fill out the applications right um, and thinking back or or when I really began to think back about it is when my son started experiencing similar um, uh phenomenons in school as well, which is um You know, up to a certain point, like around middle school, um, doing well, but then really kind of hit a wall around middle school, never a behavior problem. I was never a behavior problem. He was never a behavior problem. But in terms of concentrating and focusing, um, you know, um, you know, scroll ahead a bunch of years, we were able to have him tested, um, both in school and outside of school with a a great um, neuropsychologist that determined that he has something called Exec, executive functioning deficit which is basically um planning organizing and as i again mentioned in my book and as you talked uh, mentioned here josh it's basically when trying to prioritize or start a project or where do i go from here or i got these um five things what do i tackle first um it becomes it feels overwhelming and it goes into other things um, like dissecting word problems. Not so much necessarily. I was pretty weak at math, weaker than my son. His was more around the word problems. Mine was mine was just I never got any, I never passed a math course uh, farther than uh, my freshman year of high school, freshman algebra. I did um, take geometry my my sophomore year. I failed that summer school i got an a because my you know my mom said uh you know you can't come home unless you get unless you pass this uh i never passed another math course after early high school um and subsequent to seeing my son um struggle um academically particularly around you know um reading and reading being like word problems and other type reading comprehension things um I had myself as well neuropsychologically tested and and found out very similar things, which is that higher level type decision making, the executive functioning, and also um, sort of um, low levels of ADD. Not so much the hyperactive part, more of like um, you know, um, I think it's the um, the distractive, the distraction. uh, Mm -hmm. The uh, uh, there's another word for it. Begins with an I that I can't think of right this second, but I I will. It's the um, oh, um, um, not the hyperactive. There's two types of main types of ADD. One is the ADHD, and the other is inattentive. Is the word I was thinking of? Inattentive. Yeah. 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 So that's uh, so. In a nutshell, that's a big reason why you know, 40 years ago, uh, I didn't know this, but um, because he's been able to get some help with supports and, and various things like that. We got him into a school uh, in middle school that kind of specialized in that. And he excelled there and went on to excel in high school with different supports and tools, you know, um, you know, that's the, uh, that's the benefit of, of, uh, knowledge and testing and things like that, that we didn't have back in, back in the eighties and nineties.
1: So you just, you just hit something that I wanted to kind of hit on this and, and get a little bit more into the, uh, um, I was trying to get the unemployment numbers as as of today. I know that the uh, Massachusetts unemployment rates are about 17.4% right now. I know there's a lot of people that are worried about remote learning and going back to school. Every time I start a keynote, I talk about one in three people minimum in my audience are going through either death, divorce, disease, drugs, uh, not divorce. Um, It it doesn't discriminate, and everybody's going to go through some level of that And or is going through some level of that. I think with this, everything that's going on in the world today, I think almost all my listeners are going through something that would have the new D, which is your despair. And that feeling of despair comes in many ways. We'll get to some of your other ones. Um, I know from my experience, I did take five years to graduate high school. I did only get into one community college and applied to a number of them. I was, um, I know, and I can remember having such a feeling of, um, of of just not being important, of someone that wasn't ever going to accomplish anything. That someone that whatever job I got, I can remember I got a job driving rental cars. I think I was uh, twenty or twenty one driving rental cars from one place to the other. I made like ten bucks an hour, and I thought that was about as good as I was going to get. Um, even though I knew I had some skill sets and things, I just didn't. I wasn't doing what everybody else was doing. Do you remember going through that same, like, what was it feel like? What did it feel like for you? Did, were you take, did you take some jobs that you just were overqualified for, but you felt that you were underqualified for?
0: Yeah. I'm not even sure overqualified was, is the right term. I can remember in my early, early twenties when I um, uh, dropped out of college, basically I'd, uh, I was a competitive bodybuilder in my late teens. Um, and I, was fortunate enough to compete nationally a couple of times and did well. And you know, I thought that's the direction I wanted to go. And then I said, nah, I got back into school and then I dropped out of school. and I, In my early 20s, I did bounce around from different types, you know, landscaping, working in a car wash, which I started doing, you know, summers uh, in school. Um, you know, I, I worked a variety of jobs. I was really fortunate enough, again, 21, 22 years old, to find a company, a local one, entry-level position. I talk about this mentor um, in my book where I dedicate a whole chapter on mentors. And, and this particular mentor was very significant, Paul Leary, um, Paul Leary Sr. who uh, hired me to work in this collection agency back um, in 1986, <laughs> sounds like a long time ago. But um, so in that I've only really worked in two industries. This was, this was my, uh, my uh, entry level opportunity in, in the first of two industries I worked in. The next one came 10 years later so I was fortunate enough to um have a um you know an incredibly influential pivotal mentor that you know uh, everybody couldn't work for this guy but it, it was a, it was the kind of person i um, thrived working for working under and um, was able to quickly probably you know quickly move up i was going to say probably quicker than i should have based on my uh you know experience and skill sets but under his under his guidance i was able to move up into leadership and training type positions where um And then through about 10 years of that industry, you know, I I got up to, you know, sort of um, branch level management positions um, in that company. Um, So he sold and and left and and, um, I worked for the larger um, um, parent company in a couple of different offices. But the point is, is, um, you know, in that company, I had a couple of very key mentors, uh, mentors, and uh, that helped me tremendously for that for that leg of my career and, and subsequent one too. Like I said, I have really only worked in two industries in my life. Lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I only had two jobs. Yeah, yeah,
1: no, no, team. no, I, I get it. Um, no, I've I've covered the whole gambit. I think uh, you know that's interesting when you talk about mentors. Um, mentors come to you kind of in a very organic and, and, great way. Uh, and you have to be really open-minded to it and you have to, um, you have to let it just kind of happen. Right. Um, and it, it, so a lot of people try to force that mentor. They're out searching and say, I need to find a mentor and then need to find a mentor. It's gotta be that mutual fit. Um, I had a similar, uh, somewhat of a similar experience. I actually, uh, I think it was 1996. Um, I got a, an opportunity, uh, a friend of mine's dad, um had a friend that was doing a startup with, with the time it was Bell Atlantic 9X. Uh it was it just came out of 9 9X, the Bell Atlantic 9X, selling cell phones. Those were just coming out of bag phones and brick phones. Um the, the first cell phone, the first flip phone, the StarTac, whatever it was, um, the letter S was also the number five. You could store 99 phone numbers without names. I mean, this is going back a ways. And I got paid about, I think, $8 commission to sell a phone. And it was all outbound. It was call. I remember the, the founder, my first day, brings over a phone book and he drops it on my desk. And he says, you can start at the front and work your way back or start at the back, work your way front. Whatever motivates you more to get people to buy phones, you know, have at it. And, um, you know, I was working hard, working hard. And very rarely did the phone ring. But on one day, a hot August day, we were closing at 3 this guy calls up, never met him before in my life, and he says, I need a cell phone. And I said, I need to sell you one. And he, he says, I'll be in. What time are you there I said, 3 o'clock. And uh, 3.15 rolls around, 3.20 rolls around. I'm still at the, uh, at the store. I'm supposed to go down the Cape and spend some time with my friends. And uh, 3.35, he calls. He says, I'm still coming. I'm about 10 minutes away. So at uh, 3.45, guy shows up. I sell him the cell phone. I uh, sit with him for about 30 minutes. He could tell that I wanted to get going because I was a young guy wanting to go hit the beach. Um, and he looks at me and says, hey, uh, let me ask you something. How much money did you just make? I go, honestly, about 8 bucks." And he said, why did you do it? I said, well, because you said you were coming. And he said, well, but why Why for $8? And I said, well, I figure if I take good care of you, you're going to find some other people that I can take good care of. And you're going to make my sales job a whole lot easier because I hate this, this phone book right here. I don't like calling from the phone book. I like people like you selling phones. And uh, he says, you want a job? <laughs> I said, I got one. He says, no, you want one that could pay a lot more than eight bucks? And I said, well, yeah, sure, of course. And uh, never met this guy. He was like in his 50s. And I'm 22, 20, I think it was 22, 23. And uh, he says, I want you to drive to Saratoga on Monday for a job interview. And I did. I drove out to Saratoga, sat with one of the most intimidating guys I've ever met, Bill Foster, who's a vice president of Noresco, big, huge billion dollar business now. Um, Interviewed with him, I got the job, and the guy that that bought the cell phone, his name's Bob Bogardus, he's 70, God's late 70s, and he's still full of piss and vinegar up in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. But that was my first mentor. And from the first day that I, started with him, he taught me lessons that were meaningful and impactful that I was able to share with others through the world. Um, I think right now with people right now that are struggling and scrambling, I think it's more important for them to be so open to relationships, building and fostering them, Uh, like with you and I here, um, but to have an open mind and open eyes to people that can help that's mutually beneficial and a mutual beneficial in a mentorship is Bob didn't do that for a financial gain. He did that for a personal gain, right? When people are giving as a mentor, they're, they're gaining something personally. They're feeling better about themselves. Their legacy continues. Something in them gets to grow in someone else. Um, And it doesn't need to be just one person, right? I think you said you had multiple mentors. How many mentors have you had? Would you say give or take in your, your career and lifetime?
0: Um, <clears throat> it's hard to actually pinpoint Josh. I, you know, in my book, I know I highlight, I think about five of them. Um, and, and mm-hmm. it could have been, there certainly was probably a couple of few more, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, um, I picked out, uh, five to, to, uh, honor, mm-hmm. uh, cause I, you know, I wouldn't be sitting here right now if it wasn't for people that, um, had faith in me and, and had belief in me before I, before I had it in myself. And that's really what I think all of, all of these mentors, You know, certainly a couple in particular, um, that uh, John and Paul Leary Sr., who I mentioned uh, earlier on. You know, the last mentor um, that I honor in my book is my brother, my older brother, Mm -hmm. who, uh, you know, we co founded uh, Triton together. Uh, He had a completely different background, did very, very well uh, in high tech, Um, also a self made uh, individual, was able to work his way up into a company that went public. And then sort of had enough of the um, corporate rat race and, 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 and the demands of a publicly held company and saw what I was doing at that time in the um, inbound sales uh, direct response marketing business. I was living in Maine at the time and he was going to start a company because with some other partners doing very similar to what I was doing in Maine and that's when he invited me to come join him back in 2001. Mm-hmm. And um, So that, that's really my second... My second leg, which was uh, well, my second leg in that industry started in 1996 on the phones, actually uh, in Portland, Maine. But
1: yeah, um, Yeah. you know what's interesting is uh, the the the, uh, out of the book the mutual respect in your relationship with your brother because your book your book opens up with your brother giving his his, his his he's giving the forward and he's he's speaking pretty darn highly about you, right? And it's kind of interesting. This, you guys have this this view. It's almost like you you both mentor each other at some capacity. It's like it's a, it's really kind of an it, it's a it's a it's a dynamic you definitely don't see in brothers very often. My thirteen year old and two and a half year old. I mean that's a bigger that's that's it's almost the same spread. Ten uh, yeah, it's uh, ten years uh, ten and a half years. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how those two pan out uh, in business together. It probably have some of the similarities that uh, you and your brother have. Um, you know let's let's talk about you know the despair let's 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 you know I, I talk about the despair in my and my talks your despair comes in in the form of, of really death to start um, you you proposed in one of the coolest places on the planet and at that time I think it had just opened in the uh, the stratosphere in Las Vegas you're at the top of the stratosphere right the world's fastest elevator Everything's going smooth as silk. You're happy as can be. Life's together, and then, boom! One day hits, and everything changes.
0: Yeah, I was just part of a. I was just part of my first startup. Um, so I worked. Again, I talk about being in two industries. The, in '96, in I was. Uh, I left the collection business, uh, and living in Portland, Maine at the time, was working part time. Uh, in a health club and really wasn't making ends meet. Um, So I took a job, I answered an ad selling self-improvement products, inbound sales, full training with commission. You could make 25 to $30 an hour. So it was very appealing because my current job, uh, sort of my in-between job wasn't, wasn't really cutting, cutting it hourly pay. And instantly I did very well on the inbound sales. Their training was good. Their incentives were good. I, uh, Timing work that I was part of a Caribbean cruise contest that I, that I subsequently ended up qualifying for uh, like in my first six months on the job. Life was great you know I was a phone sales agent I didn't have the management responsibility that I acquired in the, in the collection business you know which had its rewards and had its um, benefits. but I loved the uh, having my own sales desk if you will, without any additional responsibility that just pre- performing basically like sales, you know, what, what did you do for, what, what were your sales today uh, is really what counted, but that was good. Um, and I met, <clears throat> I was, uh, my first marriage ended and, um, you know, right around that time I met a woman. Uh, I would describe her as a woman of my dreams really. And uh, she also worked in the company on the phones and I actually helped train her. She had headphones and listened to me and it was I guess as close to love at first sight as you'd find. Anyways, um, right around that time, um, two brothers and another partner left that um, uh, vertically integrated, full-service, direct-response marketing company. I was in their call center, but they did everything from product development, uh, obviously uh, call center sales, customer service fulfillment, uh, media buying, everything, as I said, under, sort of under one roof. Um, but some um, two brothers and a, and, a, and a third partner left to start a, a service company doing, doing call center work in the same industry and invited me in to um, train their sales agents, be their sales manager, call center sales manager basically. And uh, that was at the end of uh, 98, beginning of 1999. I think I started working with them in, in uh, around January, February of 1999. And again, I'm, Jennifer and I were engaged, as you as you mentioned, Josh. We were engaged uh, in the fall of '98 at the top of the uh, stratosphere. I met my brother and sister-in-law are out there. They knew about the whole thing, and I proposed to her at the top of the stratosphere uh, hotel, which my book opens up right there. Anyways, April 25th of 1999, just a couple of few months into the startup. I think we just had our first training class um, that I conducted uh, in April. Uh, Jennifer went out. To the movies, I was at home, and within an hour, the police were at the door. Um, and you know, uh, it was a classic shock. You know, uh, why do I have police at the door? And, and I, but they said, Can we come in? invited them in, and they proceeded to tell me that she was, uh, you know, that she died in, in, in a car accident. Uh, she was driving a van on sort of a, a lonely road between Cumberland and, and Yarmouth, Maine. I lived with her in a condo uh, in Yarmouth, Maine, half the time her daughters were with us at the time. They were six and eight years old. Um, and, you know, the closest thing I could compare to that was in our family, the oldest sibling, which was, you know, uh, died uh, hit by a uh, riding his bicycle when he was 13. I wasn't even born at the time, just to give you an idea, but that kind of thing reverberates through a through a family. Anyways, the only reference point I really had were, was my mom, who um, she spent a week with me after. My brother spent a week with me. My mom spent a week with me. And then, you know, I got back to work in the startup company. I threw myself back into work. Um, and, you know, you, you, you do what you can to pick up the pieces after a shocking uh, situation like that. Literally the weekend that she died, she had picked out her wedding dress. This was April, we were supposed to get married that July of 1999. Um, you know, fortunately, I had professional help, which I always encourage people should be you know, in the acute phase of anything that we call despair. I think the first thing should be is seeking help, and mm-hmm. oftentimes, oftentimes it's professional help, whether that's your physician or counselor or, or mental health practitioner. That's always, I think, should be the first thing when, when, you're, when you're crippled with, with despair or grief. Um, I looked at grief support groups and, and other things that, uh, that, that were all, nothing helped as much as time, Josh. Um, along the same lines, within a year of that time, my mom was diagnosed with lung cancer. You know, she was my rock. She had survived the loss of a 13-year-old son. And, you know, I remember saying to my mom, you know, Mom, how did you ever get over losing David? And, you know, she said very, very stoically, because she always was a very pragmatic person, you know, you never get over it. You never get over a loss. You just learn to live with it. So time really was a, was a big healer. But as time was going on, about like about a year after losing Jen, which isn't very much time, as I said, my mom was diagnosed with lung cancer and she ended up passing away in 2000, five months after diagnosis. So that was a couple of big, close personal losses, and in between, you know, not counting my pennies and already struggling a bit financially, uh, even though the startup presented great opportunity, it was still, you know, a startup company and a startup wage, I had declared bankruptcy sort of in between those two losses, so it was a, it was a few, uh, you know, significant hits that I sort of define as a pretty, uh, pretty tough stretch uh, in my life
1: yeah um, thank you for sharing sharing all all that and your your words and your way. Um, one of the things that I've always gone, similar to your mom, you know because sometimes tragedies hit and, and people will say, oh well, they've moved on or they you know move on or get on with it or whatever. Um, and I've always kind of said, you don't move on, you move forward when tragedy hits of some sort. You, you have to move forward staying in staying in this stationary position or staying in yesterday um, you'll never, you know, in in a lot of these cases, you look back and it's, it's a lot easier said than done when, you know, when it, when it happens to you, you go, this is, this shouldn't be happening to me and all, all of the questions and whether, um, you know, why is it, you know, not fair or what have you. And then you go through all the stages and then someone might say, you know, you got to move on or you got to do something. And it's like, you don't have to move on. You have to figure out how to move forward. You're never going to move on that, that stamp of your life, that, that piece and I saw the emotion when I started to talk about it you know that still hits you just like it just like it's 1999 all over again Uh, that's always going to be there but there's a part of you that has inside you that has to keep motoring along and one of those pieces that I believe that I know for me um, in is is and you talk about it in your book and and a number of occasions but a chapter about getting vulnerable Um, the importance of being vulnerable and and, and, in times checking your ego at the door Um, you know, and and realizing that you can't take care of all of it on your own. And for those listeners out there that are dealing with um, despair and difficulty right now, I hope one of the things that you take away from this, uh, because I know a lot of people are fearful of of getting help because they feel like something's wrong. I have been seeing a therapist for 13 years and I know, I'm sure I got something wrong, but he tries, he helps me uh, as regular as I get to see to make things right. Um, And just having that resource and that tool and that genius um, that I can go to and call and say, Hey, you know what? I just need an hour just to talk, uh, just to go through some stuff that I'm dealing with. And some of it's trivial and nothing and some of it's monumental and life changing, but you really need to make yourself realize that you shouldn't have to take care of everything on your own. There are people out there, there's family, friends, mentors, and professionals. And, uh, and I'm glad that you touched on that because I think a lot of people when you, and you, and you touch on it in your book, which is great. You know, a lot of people, when they hear stories like yours, are like, oh, well, he's Superman, Where's his cape, right? You did all this stuff. You got through all this stuff. But the reality where there were a lot of little moving pieces in the background and the foreground and in front of you that were helping you along the way, your brother, your mother, uh, your therapist, and they came in all different aspects of you, in part, points and parts of your life. So um, I think that's, that's pretty powerful stuff for people to, to make sure that when you get to that part in the book, take it to heart. Um, we're not all invincible. Right. So, um, and if you need, if you want somebody to call on, reach out to me, I got a good guy and he, he's got a whole network of good people to reach out to. Um, so that was, so we're, we're 20 years ago. We're still, we still got 20 years to go. Um, you go through all this loss, you you claim bankruptcy and most people don't have the courage to, 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 to even with success, they typically don't have the courage to just roll it off the tongue. Like, yeah, you know what? I, I claim bankruptcy. Um, was that, I mean, was that the hit? Was that like when you hit, when you claim bankruptcy, your mom passes away, your fiance passed away. Was that, was that your bottom? Do you think, was that, was that where you hit just didn't get any lower than that? Or did it get, did it get worse?
0: Well, it's a good, it's a good um, question, Josh. You know, at the time, um, of the bankruptcy was within like six months of losing my fiance. It was, it wasn't even a, uh, I mean, it was a tough decision because of the abject failure, if you will, of, of saying, you know, geez, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to flush my bills, which is, you know, I went from being current to filing bankruptcy. I never had any delinquency or anything like that. I just was mm. over my head with the amount of, um, you know, uh, expenses versus income I was making. So that's why I, I consulted a bankruptcy lawyer and did that. And it was a close call, meaning I could have not done it, but I, the, the stress of dealing with you know, collection accounts and delinquency and all that kind of stuff. Within months of losing my fiance, and at the time, my mother hadn't even gotten sick yet. That was a, a, the bankruptcy was final in, in January of uh, 2000, and my mom was diagnosed in March of 2000. So uh, it was it was a financial struggle for sure. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, before that, but so it it paled in comparison to what I had experienced with the, with a the significant loss of mm-hmm. you know somebody. Um, my fiance. And uh, it was also um, minor in comparison of what I was about to deal with, which is my mom being sick and dying, who was, you know, somebody I was very, very close to and was a very significant, um, you know, person in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so to answer your question, yeah, you know, it's, I think the combination of the three was, it was a low for sure. Um, at the time, you know, it's just one of those things, you know, I was, I read books on loss uh, you know, how, how to, how to, uh, go on living when somebody you love dies and why, why bad things happen to good people. I, I joined support groups. I did everything I could. Um, you know, as I, as we already, as we both talked about professional help, uh, where appropriate and, um, you know, time is a, uh, time's an amazing healer. Really. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I tried to do these other things, particularly in the loss of Jennifer, my fiance, I tried to do things to kind of, you know, accelerate the healing process which you really can't do mm-hmm. um and um so that 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 sums up if that's if that's my low of the low I yeah. think in ret- retrospect probably
1: yeah well and, and i think that uh you, you hit and i'll let people read on you know what what you were trying and with expediting the process um and the importance of just kind of letting t- time t- time tell you when things are right um, they're your 168 hours every week, but you need to let time kind of work, work its way through with some certain things. Um, well, let's, let's get to some good stuff. Let's, let's get to your, let's get to your coming out of this. You, uh, so you have went through all of this, you're in Maine, your brother comes to you and says, Hey, I'm going into business with you or without you, but I'd like for you to come on board with me. I got this company, I'm going to call it Triton Technologies. We're going to be in Massachusetts. So that's a hell of a commute for you. So you got to make some tough, tough decisions. I was in business with my father for, for uh, uh, almost seven years. And uh, it it doesn't matter how well you get along. And I know that you guys uh, definitely had a better relationship probably than my dad and I, but there's definitely times when, you're able to say, do, and, and, and be, I think my dad fired me. I think I've been fired nine times in my life, and eight of them were by my dad. Um, <laughs> but uh, and, and there's definitely a different synergy when you're, when you're first-generation two brothers going into it. But um, going into this thing, did how, how did you feel about it? Were, was the hesitancies? Um, were you excited? And then kind of walk us through, you know, coming from Maine to Massachusetts to make this big leap.
0: Yeah, you know, Maine after seven years was home. Um, you know, I had the, the opportunity, um, working in that first startup there was, was beginning to go well. You know, we, we moved space from, um, 50 seats to hundred seats and, and, and obviously more square footage. So after, you know, two and a half, three years and that startup things were going really, really well. It grew from, um, you know, the original three and me, which was four of us to, you know, a couple hundred people in, uh, uh at the time Auburn, Maine, we started Lewiston, Maine. Um, and again, I, I, had to make the tough decision to move back to Massachusetts, you know, and myself, my brother and some early partners that, that, um, they had other business at the time, but they gave us the actual uh, call center space and helped us, um, you know, um, uh, helped us funding wise and, and space wise in, in fitting out the call center in the beginning. Ultimately they didn't stay on long as partners because they had their own, uh, um, you know business uh, different from what we were doing and, and trike wasn't wasn't all that attractive actually for the first few years and for two, two partners and we interchanged a number of partners over the years especially the first several years because um again not unlike a lot of startups um we struggled we really struggled mightily for the first few years and one thing that was very very important to my brother and i and our third partner andy uh, bank was we were never gonna. We always want to make sure we had enough for the last payroll. Unfortunately, we had a number of those discussions over the first few years that we can have enough to make the make the last payroll. Well, making sure that we had enough to make the last payroll, we were never gonna not do that. So, we we hopped from lily pad to lily pad um, for our first you know three years or so in business 2001 through 2004, and then 2005 things began to really turn up. You know, we we developed a great reputation for technology and servicing our clients and we were, you know, very much the performance machine in terms of uh, call center performance on our clients calls. Again, this was a call center that our clients were marketers that aver- advertised nationally on at the time, TV and radio and print. The internet was just starting to really come on in the, you know, mid two thousands, three, four five, um, so if I was yeah. buying,
1: if I was buying a Sham Wow, or if I was buying anything on TV that said "Call now, order now, and get buy one get two free," those things, they were calling into your people, and you were delivering the professional sales.
0: Right. Yeah. Or somebody like us, Josh. Yeah. So yeah. we we were a boutique, you know, with the time fifty seats, and we grew to a hundred plus seats too. But um, so we were we were known for. Um, not being able to handle a ton of volume, but what volume we handled, we were able to convert very well because we hired professional sales uh, agents and we converted it at the the best possible average sale. So you used, uh, you know, chamois. So we we sold everything from consumer hard goods to, um, you know, exercise equipment, nutraceuticals, anything that you'd see, call now 1-800 could be a potential client. We were known for, uh, again, sort of higher conversion rates, higher average unit sale. Um, and that's how we sort of made a name for ourselves. Um, you know, our biggest limitation was capacity, being because everybody wanted to give us more of their calls, more of their business, because we performed so well. And, you know, technology over time allowed us and, and our clients to be able to answer that, you know, ability with cloud routing and things like that that came along some years later. But we were fortunate enough to have great people that, um, we uh, either hired or developed that were became, you know, trainers at first I did all the hiring and the training for the first couple of few years in business. I did all of that, as well as managing the sales floor and client service in time, we did combination of hired and developed some excellent, excellent people. Some of which are still with the company to this day. Others have gone on to do other really good things, but um, so 2004, Four things began to turn. One, two, and three were, were really, really tough. We started at the end of 2001. So two and three, four, five, six were very, very good. Seven was very good. And, you know, at that time, um, my brother's, uh, my sister-in-law um, had a health condition that was, became very, very serious. And she had surgery that didn't go well. My brother was in between caring for his wife and also, you know, his role as a CEO of the company. So long story short, we we met a broker um, that out, ended up, you know, convincing us that hey, you know, you, you know, um, you never know when things are going to take a turn. You guys have had three very good years. Um, you know, he had experience with selling call centers and and and, and marketing call centers. Uh, to, you know, and um, he sold his own actually. And um, so long story short, you know, uh, two thousand seven we. Uh, you know, interviewed suitors for the company. It seemed like the right thing to do. And um, and in the fall of uh, 2017, uh, six years in business, we um, uh, were bought by a private equity company.
1: Perfect timing. 2007, right? 2007. Yeah. Which we didn't uh, have a crystal.
0: Yep. We didn't have, yep. at the end of two. Yeah, we didn't have a crystal ball to see yeah. what was coming. Yeah you know, we we anticipated we were on a very yeah. excellent trajectory. Obviously.
1: Yep. yep. Um, well, I, I gotta tell you the, the, um, I think the reason that you guys were so successful and were able to have interest in it is, is, um, looking at your philosophies in your book and looking at the importance of customer service, um, looking at the responsibility. When you talked about the talent, um, you were doing things that were, um, You were finding out the 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 the. the, You were trying. You were you were essentially a mentor to every applicant that came in because um, you were actually trying to see what their inner talent was that they may not have seen, like doing things like requiring a second interview even if they didn't need one to make sure that they were timely. If you were timely and if you had some of those traits, you could train all the rest of this stuff, right? You can train them how to um, understand when someone calls in what their pain points are and be able to overcome those and show them the, the solution that you can provide and give them the sham wow or whatever it is. Um, I, I'm going to just put a couple of lines out here to talk about it. And then I want to talk about why I know this is true in you, and why the success comes in. Um, you, you, you talk about um, where we're out of touch with, with, with uh, the world. And the first is technology is speeding things up. We all expect everything. But uh, you said, these, these days, it seems we're all out of touch with our fellow world travelers. And consequently, we're out of practice in dealing with them. Um, and I think that your call center, you made sure that you, you and your team were always in touch with your customer, uh, both the provider of whatever the good and service was, as well as the people calling in. It doesn't cost you anything to be nice. Don't wait for a good mood to smile. Smile and allow the good mood to follow. You follow that up with talking about the importance of having a mirror on your fo- by your phone. I have been saying this for years. Uh, most of my career, and I, I sell software in my day job to public sector. We were a startup. Um, I was one of the first employees and now we're over a hundred and a hundred plus million dollar a year ARR. Um, And I work mostly with public sector employees and uh, they, they get beat up all the time, right? Town halls, schools, they get, I mean, look at, look in social media right now. Everybody worrying about the reopening of schools, people picking up the phone and people are getting hammered uh yelling at yelling at and I always say put a phone put, put a mirror in front of your phone and they go what and I said it's not it's not anything vain but look at that mirror when somebody calls because what you see is what they hear and it's important for you to know that because uh I got to tell you think about this think about the how zoom has transformed how we communicate i'm sure you're doing lots of it but you're smiling more now because you can see yourself and you can see me. So I know what's going on. Right. Whereas if I was just picking up the phone, you'd be like, Oh yeah, let me look outside. Let me look at my phone. Let me see what's going on. That's that more personal touch. Right? So we got this mirror right here. I can see me. If I'm looking like a jerk right now, I got to fix that quick. Otherwise this ain't gonna be awesome podcast. This is the, are you awesome podcast? And I don't want to do that. So um, you, you put a really a lot of um, values and virtues and character and integrity into a very difficult job while it's inbound sales calls. It, it, it was a difficult job, right? It wasn't uh, in, in the sales world. If people are just calling you, that's, that's, we call that skittles from the sky. That's like, that's like the easiest thing that's better than going to door to door. But what you guys were doing was far from easy um, and definitely not one of those cakewalks. Right. So having this, all these, these values instilled in your team is what made you guys successful.
0: Yes. You know, I, uh, I had great, um, I had great leaders in the, uh, in the business when I was working my way up on the phones, the first few years and, and in the first startup, <clears throat> those, um, you know, partners and, and uh, my boss were, it was, were, were, um, savvy business people and, and, um, you know, talented, um, in, in, the industry that we were in. And then of course, partnering with my brother who, you know, he had excellent, uh, business acumen, you know, an operational, uh, genius really and and really an incredible problem solver so you know one common theme that we had within triton was as you as you touched on josh um at least touched on if not you know really drove home was the importance of um you know operating with integrity with our clients you know so we refer to our customers as, as our clients and we acquired them their, their customers so you know we um we were pioneers in uh, bringing in compliance uh, as, a, as a small boutique company. I, you know, I sort of championed that compliance, meaning you know, listening to the sales agents' calls to make sure. Yeah, it's one thing to be make sure that we're very good at selling, but how about make sure that we're selling with integrity, which is really critical. And that ended up developing over the years at right Triton to a four-person, at least a four-person. That's I mean, I've been out of there for a number of years, but. We had, uh, <clears throat> ended up bringing in our own in-house counsel that had, you know, at least a few uh, compliance people that would listen to calls constantly. So, um, and as I really, um, you know, mention a lot in my book, in terms of treating others well, responsiveness, talking about on the client service side, you know, um, Treating people well, which includes, you know, res- uh, respect, reciprocation, and responsiveness, can really be an, an incredible differentiator in the marketplace. I think, you know, listen, performance is is key. N- you know, nobody's gonna nobody's gonna be interested with you, interested in you, unless you can deliver and perform. But sort of as an as uh, you know, deposits in the bank of uh, faith and deposits in the bank of trust. That's really where re- respect and reciprocation and responsiveness. You know, if a client sends you a note that they have an issue with performance or with call handling or service um, service levels, you know, getting back to them real time or immediately, it was that kind of business. You know, these people, were, our clients were spending real dollars on generating calls that our people were handling, and they wanted to know what the, what the performance was or the return was on, on those media dollars. That was really the, the biggest challenge that we had um, performance-wise. So we didn't always do, we didn't always do, uh, you know, even though we were known as a performance company, we didn't always perform well. Maybe we, you know, maybe we didn't handle enough calls and we dropped some known as abandoning calls. The point is, is how, how um, responsive were we and how, um, you know, how were we at solving the issues? So I think, you know, those are all critical pieces as well, Josh, and having, having great people in place, which we did um, at Triton and they still do to this day, uh, having great people in place is, is, is essential really.
1: Well, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to share a story with you. Uh, you didn't hear the story. We didn't talk about it. So it's going to probably be a surprise, but like your mom uh, is important to you, was important to you and was your rock. My mom is very similar. My mom was uh, she moved here on May 13th, 1966 from Madeira, first graduating high school class of uh, Brockton high uh, the new high school. and uh, and didn't go to college. And uh, so she didn't have formal education. Um, She didn't have uh, a profession uh, for a very long time. And one thing that my grandparents had always taught me, and I love the word resilience, is always to be resilient. There's always a way through. Um, And so in times in our lives, my mom had to dig in uh, and do things that, that most otherwise might not do to get the job done. Uh, one one story, which is funny, we talked. She and I talked about it yesterday when I was telling her about this podcast. Was in the early '90s when she had to get back out in the workforce, and back then there was no Monster.com or LinkedIn. You went in the Herald and the Globe, you went to the Help Wanted section, and she uh-huh. there, there was a sales job, and uh, the sales job was to sell uh, waste management trash containers, and so uh, she went, she applied, and uh, she she was so excited, and I'm sitting here like I can't believe you're excited to go sell, you know, dumpsters. And she says, are you kidding me? I get to go into these businesses and walk in and go, hey, you want to talk trash? <laughs> and this is <laughs> like 91. That was, her, that, was her, that was her elevator pitch. Hey, you want to, you want to talk trash? Um, I'm going to fast forward to 2005. My mom uh, found, finally found her niche. She was, uh, she was helping students learn English as a second language. She had an opportunity to become a Spanish teacher. Um, but she had to go get certified. She had to go back. She had to go to college. She had to finish college. She had to do all these things. So she was going to school all day long. Uh, she's going to Bentley, um, going to school, studying, doing all that stuff. And from 2005 to 2007, uh, I asked you about the little giant ladder last week when I sent you that random message and you're probably like, what the hell did he ask me that for? Because from 2005 to 2007, my mom would set her alarm clock at 1 a.m drive down the street to Triton Technologies and go into work and sell the hell out of little giant ladders. And a gentleman by the name of Mike McGuire, who worked under you at some capacity, uh, every single shift that my mom left, because it was early in the morning, he would go to the door and make sure that she safely got to her car. And she said that he was a man of integrity, someone of class and someone that respected and appreciated the work that others did on the phone every day. And that comes from leadership at the top, works works its way down and makes sure that it all comes into play. Without that opportunity for my mother, she would have never finished school. She would have never been certified. She wouldn't be a Spanish teacher today at Blue Hills Regional Boat Tech doing what she did. So the opportunities that you provided, not just the opportunities, but the opportunities to give happiness and and the willingness to let them work Saturday, she said, was a zoo in there. Everybody would go in because that's when all the calls were coming in. That's when the money was made. Uh, But she said, I'd go in at one o'clock. There was very few women on the phone. There were very few people on the phone because they didn't want to get up and work those hours. She said she loved it. She went in there. I got my little giant ladder uh, right at the house still to this day. She got one at a, I think at a, at an employee discount. Um, But that was a real life experience for me that I had no idea when I first got introduced to Limo J who, uh, who you were, where you worked and what you did. And as I started scraping, I'm like, wow, this is pretty interesting. So I started looking at the stories and started listening to the things and every single story that my mom and I talked about in the last week was positive a positive work experience. And you don't have that very often. Um, And so first of all, thank you for providing that work, uh, that work environment and that instilling that in your employees. Um, And secondly, you are the real deal. If anybody gets anything out of this podcast, that's a real life story. That's my mother by the book. It's legit. Everything that he says is true. It's, 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 it, it, uh, doing the right thing, smiling, caring, giving a damn um, whether it, whether it, whether it gets you the volume you need or not always doing the right thing will pay off. And this guy's proved positive of it. So, um, I just wanted to share that, that little story with you as a, uh, that that didn't make the book obviously, cause we, we just talked about it now, but maybe, maybe version two.
0: That's a great story, Josh. It's a, you know, to hear the story that your mom worked there, she worked the overnight's obviously, and she, Um, worked for Mike McGuire, who, you know, Mike was a guy that worked for us, gosh, you know, he could have worked for us uh, seven, eight, nine years, Mike, I can remember um, he's, he is one of um, dozens of um, just excellently dedicated uh, people. He worked his way up to both a trainer and a a team manager where I think he was your mom's uh, shift manager there on the overnight. And, um, you know, he's in, your mom is a, is is one of uh, hundreds of people that work there that are just um, you know made the company. Um, we weren't we weren't perfect by any means. Like nothing is perfect, but we certainly did our best to um, you know recruit, hire, train, and re- retain good people like Mike, good people like your mom. It was the job on the phones was at times was you know being a it was a tough job. You know you um, lose conversion rates and average unit sale and different but the point is is that um, you know at times it was a transition job for people because they didn't necessarily um, you know say geez I want to be a call center agent you know that's that's my um, yeah that's my, that's my dream so it was transitional you know we did the best we could to to um, you know recruit retain good people like Mike and like your mom as as example so thank you very much for uh, sort of wrapping up with that yeah. story I appreciate yeah. it yeah
1: well that that's um You know, that's a, uh, uh, one of the things too, is you guys have so many products you were, you choose, you choose who you do business with in that. Like you, you, when I talked about the little giant ladder, you talked about the family and how great they were. I think they're in Utah. Um, you didn't, you you didn't, you just didn't push any widget out there just to push on people. I think that's important. There's a lot of people that are in sales that listen to my podcast and I tell them how important it is, um, to believe in what it is that you sell because it really becomes easy. It's not, it's not really work. It's, it's really, it's giving, it's prescribing uh, what people need and understanding where their pains are. Before we go, a couple last things. Where do you get your coffee?
0: (laughs) At Dunkin' Donuts in, uh, on 30 commercial street in Foxborough. It's the, uh, You know, I talk about them in my book. I don't know if that's why you're asking, but yeah, well, uh, you didn't, you
1: didn't say, I didn't see you say which one they were, but you talked uh, about you talked about Rocco, so I wanted to make sure.
0: Rocco's the guy that cuts my hair. Yeah, that's that's that. But but Frank, I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name. Verona's just to just to give you an idea. This guy owns a bunch. I don't even know how many Dunkin' Donuts in the area, but the 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 product he puts out is the product he puts out, which is obviously coffee and, and, and food that goes with coffee. You know, but the point is, is that you know his um, talk about recruiting and retaining it's just terrific people his daughter who's a dentist actually it's this kind of place if they're short-handed she's a, she's, a, she's a licensed practicing dentist she works there in her father's <laughs> father's yep. uh, franchise and she's I don't know she's a kid in her late 20s early 30s uh, that works there it's that kind of place and everybody they you know to the to their management to to everybody they hire just treats everybody like gold and make sure they get your coffee right. And, uh, so that's why uh, under the, under the chapter of treating others well, that was a great example. And that's an awesome example, Josh, of differentiating yourself and kind of a commodity, commodity business, which yep. is selling coffee and donuts and, and breakfast sandwiches, treating people well is the difference between, you know, that's why I go there once or twice a day for probably five years now, maybe longer.
1: Yeah. And that's way out of the way. Cause you got, uh, I know where that Dunkin' Donuts is in comparison to where you live, and you, and and being in Massachusetts, home of Honeydew and Dunkin' Donuts brands, uh, you you go by probably, probably ten uh, to get, <laughs> get the and, and, and the new Starbucks right down the street from you. Right. So um, I know all about coffee. I know every coffee spot this side of the Mississippi. I actually had to get a um, um, endoscopy January second. That's how I kicked off 2020. I was like, 2020 is terrible for me. I had a sick dog. My son broke his leg, and I had to get an endoscopy to get told not to drink so much coffee. I was drinking, on average, about 17 cups of coffee a day. I had no idea. Um, I love coffee, um, and I'm also, and it doesn't do anything for me because now I'm down to like a cup a day. I'm drinking this thing, and that's it for the day. I saved it for this, for this uh, podcast. But no, I, Rocco, you talked about, and you talked about the coffee, and, and I want to make a point of that to let, the, let people know who that was for the world because you're absolutely right. There are a lot of there are a lot of companies out there that do exactly the same thing, that provide exactly the same product, and there's a reason why one's more successful than others, and that's the people. That's the service, that's that's what they provide. It's it's the care and the concern that they have for their client and they know the importance of them. Uh, and they and they thank them and know where that where that, that money's coming from. You know the owner and you know the owner's daughter and all that. They appreciate you paying their mortgage and that's why they're in front of you every day. Uh, my dad and I owned a spring water delivery business, and he made me drive the water truck every day and deliver every bottle of water. And I said, we can we can afford to hire drivers, Dad. I'm driving, delivering 300, 400, gallon bottles a day. He said, nope. When the clients stop seeing us, that's when they stop paying us. We need to show them how important they are to us and provide them with the unparalleled service that they wouldn't get anywhere else. And that was something that's been instilled in me for forever. So uh, uh, Dunkin' Donuts, there you go. Commercial Street in Foxborough. Not make just sure. any Dunkin'
0: Donuts. Yeah, not just any
1: Dunkin' Donuts. The Dunkin' Donuts to go to. I'm going to make. Commercial
0: a Street in Foxborough.
1: You and I will have to grab a coffee when the so- great. socially distanced nonsense is over. Um, so you, you you got out of Triton. You sold out to uh, in 2007. You stayed on to somewhere around 2013. Then you re- then you retired. You are out of retirement, and I want to. And I think that a lot of the stuff that you're doing is truly for. Um, I don't want to use. Maybe it's philanthropic, but their their purposes outside of of monetary gain. Monetary gain is nice. Hopefully, you make a bunch of money on the book. Hopefully, you make some money on the coaching. But you're really doing this to try to make a difference and help people's lives. It's like helping people. Um, I want to yeah. help people. Yeah. So so talk about your coaching. Talk about uh, all the ways that people can get a hold of you. I'm going to put all this stuff on the show notes. But what do you specialize? It's resilience coaching. But there's a couple of different categories of things that you can provide on your page. Where do they go to find it? And your uh, your thirty second to however long sure. you want elevator pitch.
0: Yeah, I work with people on a selective basis, both individuals and teams. Uh, oftentimes, it's um, you know on my website there's there's a page on uh, on speaking and it gives the topics. You know, I have some a handful of topics that I really enjoy speaking on, um, and I like to talk about the turnaround. Whether it's you know a company might have had a bad quarter. Uh, or a team had a bad month, or a bad quarter, or, or somebody had a bad year. Uh, individual, I like to work with people in, in uh, on their on their turnaround. Uh, so I like to consider myself, based on my experience, uh, both both good and bad, uh, as a turnaround expert. So again, teams, individuals uh, on their turnaround, and uh, helping them not only bounce back, but you know bounce back higher than yeah. oftentimes than before. I can be reached at my name, ericchason.com. Uh, um, and there's a, there's a link to my book, which is own site, which is uh, uh, cap, D the number two M.com, which is short for, I'm sorry, from D to M.com. So it's yeah. ericchason or from despair to millionaire.com. Uh, I'm also uh, active on LinkedIn under my name and, uh, Facebook as well. Those are really the only uh, social media sites that I'm active on. Uh, in particular, LinkedIn, but secondarily, uh, Facebook. Uh, and I enjoy working with uh, individuals and teams.
1: Releasing the book is it August 25th, right? Is that the... Yeah, plan?
0: right now it's available for pre-order. Um, and it is actually publishing um, on August 25th, which is a, a Tuesday. two week, uh, Two weeks from yesterday
1: awesome and you can get a kindle version or you can get paperback and uh if you oh, like exactly. if you like me i still like the smell of paper and i still love the post-it note the heck out of things um y- you say right out of the gate in this you know read it once and then read it a second time and take your time uh and, and really kind of di- dig into all of the the examples ideas and practices and, and and i think i could read it three or four times it's it's uh it's 150 you know, odd pages uh easy read like i say lots of uh lots of nuggets of knowledge. So thanks for, thanks for putting it together. You, you didn't need to do it, right? You didn't need to, you could have just stuck around, done what you were doing. I don't know if you play golf, but play golf. Oh, that's what most, that's golf. what most retired people do. That's why you probably came, that's probably why you came out of retirement because you that's don't right. play golf.
0: If you play, if you play
1: golf, you would probably stay retired. That's what I hear anyway. Look, go down to Florida or something, but uh, um, no, I appreciate you doing this. I think that there's so much, um, there's so many people that have 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 had success in their lives that still have a lot left to give, and some of them don 't do it. They just kind of go off and and uh and and ride off into the sunset so appreciate you doing all that uh to to keep to keep the book going uh because when you 're gone the library's closed as i've always been told so uh keep up the good work my friend it's it's been Thank a you very much Josh. pleasure to uh to meet you i'm 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 so appreciative that uh that limo j thought to put us together and uh, we'll have to do a follow-up uh after the release and see how everything's going and uh there's anything be awesome can do to help you in the future you you now got a friend in us so uh thank you so much
0: thank you very much to you and to uh into our mutual friend jay
1: yes thank you uh and that will do it for another episode this was a long one because i like i said i'm gonna i'm gonna call this cut from the same cloth i think i could talk uh for days about sales strategy and, and Hope life. everybody's still
0: awake Josh
1: yeah life as we know it. No, they, these guys well some people they like they put me on they put my uh podcast on to put them to sleep on purpose uh uh-huh. but but they, they they you know they're open to tell me about it they say you know my voice has got a soothing sound not quite not quite Matthew McConaughey but, but a close uh, second or second second hundred um but uh no, this was a great podcast. I was really glad that uh, such a, such an incredible, if there's a takeaway here, that, that, that whole uh, seven lines of separation and how close it is. Uh, I've never met Eric in my life. I've never talked to him. I never didn't even know he existed. And then when I just scraped the surface to find so many different direct ties and direct pieces, as well as how uh, he and his brother's company actually positively impacted my family's life Very cool uh, story. without anybody actually knowing uh, is, is a pretty, pretty strong takeaway. So um, that will do it for us here. I, as always am encouraging and appreciative of anybody that goes on to iTunes podcast and does a rating and review for us. As I share with you, there's 1.1 million podcast channels in the world today. Uh, that is a very busy place. Uh, less than 100,000 of them have 10 or more likes and comments. And because of you, I've got 55 and I'm, uh, I'm slowly growing, but as I grow with those ratings and reviews, that's what gets me more visibility so that we can share more of these stories with more of the world. So uh, as always, you do that. Um, you get it, you get a free be awesome t-shirt for your efforts. So just send me an email, Josh at be awesome, dot com, And we will get that in the mail and you can find me on LinkedIn Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, B-E space A-U space S-M. And that will do it for us here today. And if there are any local Eastern residents, businesses or people that want to talk about the awesome that they're doing, give me a call. I'm ready to have you on anytime uh, you're ready. If you can be anything, be awesome.